morning, everyone. Welcome to the Pathfinder podcast. Today we have Connell Leverty from Wire.io. This podcast seem, seems like it's been on the cards for a very long time, so I'm very so I'm glad to finally have Connell on to talk to him. I'm Connell, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're getting to getting to have this conversation and share some stories. Well, thanks very much for joining us. So can you give a bit of background for yourself and what Waya does? Sure. So, so my kind of background is really goes back to kind of until I was very young, until I was about eight, eight years old. I've always been, always had a kind of engineering kind of problem solving mentality. Even even as I sit here right now and look over to the left, there's kind of this Lego everywhere. And even even to this day, I still build Lego. I just I find it to be one of the one of the greatest inventions of, of, of all time. But yeah, so when, when I was when I was young, I would have been uh, kind of taking computers apart and them back together again, more so kind of breaking them. But I, I always had this fascination with kind of how things worked. Growing from that then, so I kind of started programming at a very young age when I was kind of about 10, 11 and started my first startup when I was 13. So that was really around the hosting of mobile phone games. So this was yeah, almost 20 years ago. And that was, would have been for the old kind of Nokia handsets. So would have been utilizing the you know, Symbian operating systems and things like that. And that, that, that did really well. And I was getting like hundreds of thousands of uniques every month. So for back then, that was quite a lot of traffic for the kind of the somewhat early stages of, of the internet. It, it was unfortunately what, when I also learned about the legal term cease and desist, so I then I kind of realized that the the games companies weren't too happy about me kind of giving away some of their IP in that fashion. So I rather than kind of have a knock on the door, quickly kind of got rid of that. And then we kind of moved into another venture when I was 13, which was selling SIM cards in the playground. So when I what, what I found was a, a vulnerability or a flaw in Telefonica slash O2's website. That allowed me to order SIM cards for free. And the thing about the SIM cards was that they were really important to people because these particular SIM cards, if you top them up just for a tenner every month, you got unlimited free text messages. And they, that, that, so back then, that was the way that everyone communicated. Everything was through SMS. And so I started to then get those sent to my house. I was getting them for free, selling them in the playground for you know tenner a pop. Two for 15 if I like the person. And to just give you an idea in the numbers, so in my school, there was about 700. And then there was a girl's school connected next door, and there was about another 700. The two schools were only divided by a yellow line that was painted on the ground. So that was kind of our, our wall. But uh, yeah, so it was pretty, pretty much selling them to everyone in the school. Even the teachers were, were, were buying them. And at one point, O2 found out about what was going on and stopped sending them to my house and kind of put a block on the address. But there were kind of a bunch of houses nearby, so I just kind of changed the number on the address, kept the name the same. Postman figured out what was going on. He just brought them all to me anyway. So there were kind of a number of kind of people involved in this. I want to use the word scheme. Some other people would have used a somewhat similar word that wasn't that. And then it kind of grew and it saturated the market and kind of like basically everyone in the school was using the SIM cards um, that were out of my backpack. And so I started to sell to the other schools nearby at wholesale prices. So 
then after a while, yeah, I was really becoming kind of Tyrone's kind of SIM card dealer. And, and yeah, it kind of reached the point where I was going, went, okay, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of done here with this venture. Then moving on to, I guess, more legitimate things. So whenever I left school, I, I kind of started studying electronics and software engineering. And I dropped out halfway through first year just to get the stereotypical kind of tech bro dropout onto my CV. And then I accidentally became a piano teacher at a Yamaha music school for about six months. And yeah, after, I guess, after teaching kids piano for, for that period of time, that, that was enough to encourage me to go back to university and to finish my degree, which I did in, which I ended up studying doing my master's in computer games development, which is really kind of the low end physics and maths behind a lot of the engines that create the games and movies that we all enjoy every, every day. So when I eventually then finished university, I joined a creative technology company based in uh, London and Belfast called Big Motive. So there I was architecting kind of uh, web services, apps and games for companies like BBC, Channel 4, Net-A-Porte, Samsung. And then sort of my own consultancy where I was working with uh, Cambridge Silicon Radio, who were bought by Qualcomm um, for $3 billion. I'd like to think my stint there had a massive part to play in that. And then why I was set up from my bike being stolen from two floors underground and i wanted to build a tracker that would work in those like really harsh conditions where things like cellular may not be appropriate so what what what, what i developed then was a device that a very small device not too dissimilar i guess from kind of some of the products like tile or air tag that you would see today that would allow kind of every bike and smartphone to speak to each other even if, even if they didn't know each other so not too dissimilar as well from the techniques that were being used in the contact tracing over the COVID pandemic. And then what was developing that, what I really noticed was the even bigger challenge was providing the cloud infrastructure that every device manufacturer, even a maker needs to create an, an Internet of Things solution. And why I was born from really today's version of why I was born from that, whereby we now provide I kind of all the cloud cloud software that is needed for anyone to build any sort of IoT device and to manage them, to capture the data, to control them remotely. And so we're kind of a bit like what Stripe do for finance and e-commerce, we do for sensors. That was that was a hell of a story. I didn't know, yeah, I didn't realize uh, your background was uh, that uh, colorful. What a baptism of fire getting the cease and desist order at, uh, what, 13? Yeah, yeah, it was you know, kind of lots of emails, letters, things like that. So it was it was fun, kind of kind of seeing that that all coming through. Felt like I, I achieved something. So for uh, our audience, can you explain exactly like what an IoT device is? Because there's a lot of talk around IoT devices, especially in Industry 4.0, but there's a lot of confusion as to like what do they do, what type of devices they are, and what they're used for. Yeah, so but there are lots of different definitions out there of kind of what an IoT device is or an Internet of Things devices, and some people like the the example everyone knows says to me is around fridges and like how, how many people really have a smart fridge and it, it, so I'd like to take it back a step and I, I, the Internet of Things an Internet of Things device is really an atomic unit that does one thing and one thing very well. So that may be a, a temperature sensor or humidity or occupancy or air quality, something that does that one piece of function, but is part of a grander ecosystem that then 
solves some sort of problem or creates a new opportunity. And with those kind of uh, definitions in mind, the opportunity may be the reduction in operational costs for say running a building and the revenue opportunity may be to create a new type of service or to sell a new type of service even whether that is directly to the customers or analytical whatever that may be to then create create kind of new revenue streams that didn't exist before but i think it's it's important to the important thing about it is that no one piece of the internet of things whether it's the the sensor, the communications, or the cloud is valuable on its own. It's when you link all of those components together that you can then start to extract what you want for your use case. Okay, so one thing that I've heard while you're talking about is like using IoT devices in fleet management, resource mm-hmm. provision, and process automation. But how does the device fit into the process of like say fleet management what is fleet management and how does an iot device fit into that game sure so whenever you're building a you know a sensor device and i'll just use the even the temperature sensor as an example again so whenever you're building one you kind of you don't really have to you don't really have to kind of have this kind of grand view or kind of understand what's going on because you've got that one simple data set that you just need to utilize and that's what you care about but whenever you're maybe a device manufacturer or someone who's selling a solution that utilizes IoT technologies, then you need to get a comprehensive view of kind of the devices that you are using for your solution or that you're maybe selling to your customer. The fleet management is what is part of that. So part of that is the going, okay, here are all of the different units I have out in the field. Here's how they're performing. Here's the ones that aren't performing. Here's the ones that are having operational issues. Here's the ones that are sending erroneous data. So when you are out there and you're trying to sell your own services, you need to be able to have those data sets at hand to enable you to be able to provide the best possible service to your customers. And the fleet management resource provisioning and the process automation is all parts of that. And that's why what we provide is the ability to do all of that without any technical expertise whatsoever. So you just log into the platform. Everything is pretty much no code. So lots of drag and drop interfaces, simple forms to fill out, analytics that are generated into kind of Facebook visualizations that can be designed by anyone. And giving that level of control is really, really important, but also removing the technical barriers to benefit from it is just as if not even more important because one of the biggest things holding back a lot of people in the iot industry is trying to understand well where do i start or how do i prove a use case to our business or to our customers and by having all the different elements around fleet management and uh, automation you're able to evaluate that very quickly but then also scale okay so one of the things that i know uh, we has been doing a lot of work on over the last while and i suppose this will give our audience a bit more context of this specific type of performance monitoring that IoT devices can provide is you guys have been doing some work around occupancy in buildings and space utilization. I'm just wondering like how does how do IoT devices monitor that and help you improve basically your space utilization and why is that important to a business? Sure. So to use the examples that you gave there specifically yeah, around the building occupancy and the space utilization, really, when we look at kind of pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, after the pandemic, the, the, the intent is really the same 
in terms of you're trying to get an understand of the really the behavior within an environment. So behavior is, is a really important word in the in the Internet of Things, whether that is the behavior of people, behavior of the air, behavior of the energy, that, you, that is what you're really trying to look at to understand what is going on, what trends uh, can be can be noticed, and then look at, okay, well, how do you turn those into operational efficiency? So that may be in the case of a building, you may go, well, we're actually going to downsize. Or you may go, we're actually going to create more space because actually people aren't using the, the building properly because it's too cramped or something, or they're not using certain places um, properly. So it starts to give you the data sets that are required to then go off and make these types of business decisions and start to extract the most value from the assets that you may have under your control. And the one thing that has changed over those three periods of time that I mentioned previously, pre, during, and post-pandemic, is that the priority on that has increased significantly. So whilst before there was, there was kind of, it was okay to kind of, I guess, just lease a space and kind of see what happens, people now want to use the latest kind of sensors and technologies to create uh, digital twins of their environments so that they can start to analyze really down to a T what is going on and how they can provide better environments for their employees or their customers or anyone else that may be uh, utilizing the property assets that, that they um, provide. So yeah, the key summary from that is really getting a, a really clear understanding of behavior. And that's why personally I'm fascinated even with kind of the psychology of things, not just the internet of things. Okay, so one thing that's kind of striking me from that is because in manufacturing, they talk a lot about volume stream mapping and the movement of people when they're talking about lean manufacturing. So it seems like that's something that is really important, that this is a solution that's really important in that and being able to optimize your, your value stream map. Yeah, absolutely. Like the movement, the movement of people, it's not even just around the operational efficiencies or revenue stream. You also have to look at the the safety that you can introduce and whenever you're looking at something like manufacturing by starting to, again, get an understanding of the behavior within certain environments so that you can then make sure that the proper measures are in place to prevent any sort of incident or accident for, obviously, there's a kind of a human cost whenever something may happen on a manufacturing line, but also the cost of kind of stopping manufacturing as well can be a big thing for a lot of companies and depending on the size of their operation can be kind of quite a significant hit in terms of their their revenue and their ability to deliver to their own customers and these are all problems that can be solved with simple data sets and the sensors themselves and just being able to tell you the basic thing of saying yeah there are some people here or the air quality isn't good here is kind of very important but quite easy to do. But one of the one of the big problems that a lot of the kind of not just in manufacturing, but really in every single vertical that they have with the IoT and why they struggle to extract, in some cases extract any value, is due to the level of fragmentation that there is in the industry. So the fragmentation is super significant. So whenever you you may have one platform for your air quality. You may have another platform for your power monitoring. You have another platform for your um, occupancy. You may have another platform for running your building management system, another for your ventilation. And none of them speak to each other. And none of them know what the other one is doing. So if you really imagine a world without Google Translate, 
way to kind of take those different messages and things are being spoken. It, it would We would live in a very different environment today if we didn't have something that was able to provide us with that level of uh, translation. And we, we're solving that problem via. So we are making it possible for any device to connect to our platform and that allows you to then properly extract the contextualization by being able to see across multiple data sets, being able to trigger actions. So say one manufacturer's air quality sensor can trigger another manufacturer's ventilation system. These are the things of the future that are needed to actually provide that the level of value and to meet the expectations of many of the people who want to embrace in industry further. So when people start talking about IoT devices and integrating them into cloud platforms, and I know that's mm. essentially what you're trying to make easy, it always sounds like an extremely expensive and complicated thing to set up. Mm. So I'm just wondering like, what the reality is, because like when we hear about, oh God, we, we have to install lots more devices, it seems like a mammoth task. So how easy, easy is it to actually implement this? And how, and more importantly, I suppose, how quickly do businesses start to see a reasonable ROI? Yeah, that, that kind of ease of use and kind of getting up and going, that, that's something that we're really obsessed with. So we kind of look at what we can do to simplify that onboarding process. And that's why we make it possible to integrate any sort of device. From the, it is definitely one of the issues that a lot of people in the industry have whereby they, it is kind of daunting. Again, going back to the, the, whenever you're looking at the software, the hardware and the communications, you have to know stuff about those three fields whenever you're doing maybe a mass or complex installation. And that can be very off-putting for some people because they are afraid to embrace any of those kind of, kind of technologies. And we want to remove those bars as much as possible. So we want to make it easy for anyone who is a device man manufacturer, anyone who is a vertical solution provider to fast track past those obstacles. So then they can focus on getting that ROI because at the end of the day, that is the point that has to be reached for them to get value back on, on what they've just purchased and to then look at not just solving the initial problem that they may be with the IoT, but building confidence to allow them to then go, okay, we can start to use this for other use cases and we can start to expand out into other areas. The industry has struggled with removing a lot of those barriers, but we're very much focused on it. And that's because that's where, that's where it's going to be. At the end of the day, when I look at technologies, I always like to look at things from an inevitable perspective. And it is inevitable that every sensor will be able to speak to each other, even if it is using a cloud as a proxy to do so. It's inevitable that everything is going to be monitored in some sense or the other. And it's inevitable that these types of technologies are going to be just very much embedded into the future of how we live and work. Great, Connell. Thanks very much for that. And thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Ian. And that is it for this week's Pathfinder podcast. I would like to thank our guest, Connell Laverty, for joining us today to discuss IoT devices working in the industry.